0: Today, as we continue on our Lenten journey, we start a new teaching series here at Covenant entitled Foundations. Now, the hope of this series is to remind us of the foundations that are constant in our lives that we can build our worldviews and our beliefs upon. It feels like that's so important in this era where things are changing so quickly. I mean, in the last 12 months, almost every aspect of our personal and public lives has been turned upside down. And it feels like even in the reemergence from this pandemic that change is gonna continue to happen. At times it can feel like it is just chaotic. And so we're going to be asking the question, what are the foundations that are solid, that are firm, that we can orient ourselves around in this time and build our worldviews upon? To guide us on this journey, we are going to be following the words of the Apostles' Creed that comes from our book of Confessions. In fact, it's the oldest of the creeds and confessions. I hope that this is a creed that that you will become increasingly familiar with. Some of you know it, some of you may not know it, but regardless, what I would like is for this to be something that you read together as a family or on your own, that you ponder, that you, you consider in the weeks ahead. And to start this series, I invite us to say it now together as it appears on the screen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the name, the Apostles' Creed, actually comes from a legend in the church. The legend is that uh, the 12 original apostles each contributed a line or a phrase that were formed together to create this creed. We don't know if that's historically true or not, but what we do know about this creed is that it is the oldest that we have from the ancient church, That in the immediate decades after the life of Jesus, that this basic framework of a creed was spoken and written down as a baptismal liturgy that was spoken over new converts, women and men, when they professed faith and became Christians. This creed said that this is the essence of what it's about. And part of what's unique about this creed in our book of confessions is it's the only one that's kind of grassroots. I don't mean what I'm about to say in a negative way, but All the other creeds and confessions were written and debated by professional clergy, pastors or bishops, uh, uh, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, I'm one of those, so I'm not trying to rip that down, but the Apostles' Creed comes from the very core of the ancient church, and it was grassroots of the first believers, the first ones going, this is what it's all about. These are the foundations that we can build our lives and our worldview on, and my hope, is that in the weeks to come, it will serve the same purpose for you and for me. So let's dive in. Today, we're going to be taking a few minutes to look at the opening phrase, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Think about those words, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now, for a lot of people that, that we know, and maybe for some of us that are worshiping even today, that phrase alone, that first phrase can be problematic. Studies are showing in our country and in our culture and in our world that it's becoming increasingly difficult for, for people to say, I believe in God. I mean, not even worrying about what comes next and the, the quick and the dead and the Holy Ghost and all the other stuff. Before we even get to that, I believe in God is problematic. Whether you're in an academic setting and reading Karl Marx or whether you watch Bill Maher on a regular basis, it is becoming more and more common to increasingly belittle people that would claim to have a faith. It's seen as as believing in fairy tales and superstition that we weak-minded people need to create a world that makes sense to us and and gives us hope. It's unscientific, it's anti-intellectual. And in the midst of this kind of battering ram assault on the idea of believing in God, I see a lot of people of faith backing away from that conversation, really unsure of how to respond. Almost ceding the high ground to the idea that I have to check my intellect at the door whenever it is I'm thinking about purposes of faith. This narrative of a paradigm of science and and, and critical thinking and and deep philosophy over and against this antiquated idea of religion, I fear is becoming more and more normative. And as people of faith, we just shrink back to, well, then I'll just have my own personal belief and I'll stay quiet about it. It's important to realize that while that paradigm of, of faith being unscientific or anti-intellectual is one way of articulating things. There are plenty of deep thinkers, of scientists, of academics, not who just tolerate the idea of faith, but who have a vibrant, alive faith. In fact, there are even some that their pursuit of science was an indispensable part of leading them to faith. One of the best known is uh, scientists in the world today is Dr. Francis Collins. You may even if you don't know that name, Dr. Francis Collins has impacted your world and is today impacting your world uh, and, and our entire globe in, in so many different ways. Dr. Francis Collins became known to many of us in the 1990s when he spent a decade uh, chairing and leading the Human Genome Project that was one of the the greatest scientific discoveries in history. In the end, it was the first project to map out human DNA, which has led to medical and scientific breakthroughs in the years uh, since then. In 2008, Dr. Collins was uh, appointed as the, the head of the National Institute of Health He has served in that role through President Obama, through President Trump, now with President Biden. He is leading the fight about health and about infectious disease and about leading the the charge for finding and and delivering vaccines from a medical perspective. We know many of us, Dr. Anthony Fauci, in this time of of COVID-19, Dr. Collins is Dr. Fauci's boss. He was awarded last year the Templeton Prize, which is given to one scientist a year. This is is not some guy we found on YouTube who says that he has a scientific degree and is a Christian. This is someone who, without a doubt, is on the Mount Rushmore of scientists in the world today, maybe in the last hundred years. And Dr. Collins was an atheist into his young adult years as he got his degrees in chemistry and biology and started his work. And it was the pursuit of science that led Him to faith. He wrote an amazing book that I I, I highlight to any of you called The Language of God that talks about how people of faith and scientific worldview can have a vibrant and alive spiritual life. Take this quote, for example, when he talks about being in the White House as the Human Genome Project was announced and the mapping of DNA took place. He writes about how when he was there that in the, in the announcement, it drew a lot of attention because President Bill Clinton at the time talked about how we were unwrapping the, the, the mysteries of how God had created the world and, and did, as a scientist, was that problematic that faith was brought into that announcement. Look at what he's quoted as saying. Was I, a rigorously trained scientist, taken aback at such a blatantly religious reference by the leader of the free world at a moment such as this? Was I tempted to scowl or look at the floor in embarrassment? No, not at all. In fact, I had worked closely with the president's speechwriter in the frantic days just prior to this announcement and had strongly endorsed the inclusion of this paragraph. When it came time for me to add a few words of my own, I echoed this sentiment. What was going on here? Why would a president and a scientist charged with announcing a milestone in biology and medicine feel compelled to invoke a connection with God? Aren't the scientific and spiritual worldviews antithetical? Or shouldn't they at least avoid appearing in the East Room together? What were the reasons for invoking God in these two speeches? Was this poetry, hypocrisy, a cynical attempt to curry favor from believers or to disarm those who might criticize the study of the human genome as reducing humankind to machinery? No, not for me. Quite the contrary. For me, the experience of sequencing the human genome and uncovering this most remarkable of all texts was both a stunning scientific achievement and an occasion for worship. As people of faith, we must investigate what it means to say, I believe in this, not by, ch- by checking my intellect at the door, but that I can engage in conversation about why a belief in God is something that is real and, and that I can build my life upon. It's foundational. And not only is the belief in God foundational according to the creed, but that straight from the beginning, we also see this wonderful juxtaposition of words that not only is God real and is not only is he powerful, almighty, but he is father. Think about those words together. I believe in God, the father almighty. What this creed is saying in the opening phrase is not only are we saying God is real, but that God has a particular relationship with creation because it says something about the character of our God. God can set this up in any way. God is God. God can relate to you and me and to the world uh, and to the creation in any way God chooses. And yet what this creed makes clear and the scriptures talk about and Jesus embodies and how he teaches us to live and pray and think about God the Father is just that, that God is a parent and that we, our family. Now, this isn't about gender, whether God's a man, as we think of it. This is about saying that the, the, the way that God relates to us is as a parent to a child. That God knows us as family, and in family, we move beyond the public personas, that God sees us for who we are, that God sees the beauty in our hearts and the selfish pettiness that's alive in our lives, and God looks at us all, you and me, and says that we are unconditionally loved, that we unconditionally belong to him and to one another, that we are valued beyond what we can imagine and it's not something we earn. It's something God gives to us as a gift, as amazing grace. Think about the miracle of that, that God chooses this paradigm in which to exist with you and me. To try to illustrate this, uh, we have a video we're gonna end this sermon with. It's a video of a family at a baseball game, where I think the the role of parent above and beyond anything else is clear. This is a video video of a baseball game from several years ago that uh, Steve Montformo went to with his family. Steve Montforto was uh, a, a, a lifelong baseball fan and a lifelong Philadelphia Phillies fan, which we can forgive him for that because we're a community of grace. and And Steve Montforto took his family of four, his two young children and his wife, to a Philadelphia Phillies game, and they had great tickets. He it bought great tickets. They sat on the first row right behind home plate of the second level. And in the course of the game, as he's there, all decked out in his Phillies gear, a foul ball starts to come his way. Now, a foul ball at a Major League Baseball game is something people get in fistfights over, right? Because people can, can get these and when it's very rare in a stadium of 30,000 people to 40,000 people to get a foul ball. People keep them for life. And a foul ball started coming towards Steve and his family's direction in the middle of the crowd. And well, watch what happens. He does go after him there. and Delivers the fastball a fastball. shot to the upper deck. caught by that fan right there. Nice grab. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, there it goes. <laughs> well, she's only doing what she sees them do all yeah. the time. And that is to throw the ball back on the field. But you know when that happens, the parent is never able to catch them before no. they end up doing it. And there's a whole host of fans underneath that gentleman right there who are looking for another souvenir. What I love about this video is that what we see at his core is that Steve Manforto could could have reacted in a whole host of ways. He could have acted uh, like a baseball fan. He could have acted like someone who was disappointed in losing a foul ball. But at his core, he approaches his daughter as a parent in an embrace. I want you to think about the miracle that how God chooses, what you can build your life upon is no matter what we do in our lives, that God's posture to us begins with an embrace and everything else goes from there. If you can drive by the miracle of that in two minutes and move on, then you're not paying attention. This is a foundational miracle that we can build ourselves and our lives and our worldviews upon. It is unshakable. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Amen and amen.